Prince. If you would, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew. There are four accounts of the life of Jesus in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew is the very first, and we've been studying Matthew together as a church. And so if you would, turn with me there. Matthew chapter 6 is where we'll be today. The part of Matthew that we're looking at has been called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, and what Jesus is doing in this long section of teaching is he des- he's describing what kingdom people look like, uh, what their character is like, uh, how they live, how they act. So uh, if you are a part of Jesus' kingdom, uh, then the sermon describes you, or at least what we would hope to aim for. Uh, and just before this, so if you've got your Bible open, uh, Actually, turn backwards for just a minute to Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, where Jesus says this. He says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds, goes beyond, goes deeper than that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And then what Jesus does is he shows the difference between true righteousness and uh, the righteousness of the Pharisees. The righteousness of the Pharisees is, is behavioral. It's all law. It's, it stays up here at the surface. Jesus says, uh, true kingdom righteousness goes deeper, goes down to the heart. And so Jesus says, it's not enough to just refrain from murder. It's refraining from anger. It's not simply avoiding adultery. It's even avoiding lust. Jesus says it's not just loving your neighbor, but it's loving your enemy. That's what true righteousness looks like. And he closes that section in 548 by saying, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now that's translated as a command, and it is, but it's also, uh, pardon my grammar nerdiness, it's also in the future tense which means it's a promise. So Jesus is giving us a goal to pray for, right? He's telling us, you ought to be, you want to be like your Father. Strive for, aim for, pray for the perfections that you see in your Heavenly Father to to become reality in your own life. And it's also a promise. Jesus says, by God's grace, you'll get there. And so, now... uh, Jesus begins describing what practicing that righteousness looks like. So in a minute, I'm going to read uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and you're going to hear that word righteousness again. Uh, Now Jesus begins to describe what practicing or doing righteousness looks like. So let's give our attention to God's word. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Jesus says this, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. And while the grass withers and the flowers fade, the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, as you continue to explore our hearts, we pray that your word would come with power and that you would unmask us, that you would reveal our our hidden motives, even if we haven't noticed them before, haven't seen them before. Lord, would you do your good work in us so that we would be changed, so that we would be renewed. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a a question for you to answer in your head. You don't have to answer it out loud. Uh, What does a religious person act like? And I don't mean that word religious in in a negative or pejorative sense. If you're a religious person, how do you act? Maybe there's a a list of things that have come to your mind. That's what Jesus is speaking to right now. Uh, If if you would name yourself, if you'd call yourself a religious person, what what does it look like to live that religion out? What does this person do? What does he or she do? Uh, To put it another way, how does that deeper righteousness that I just mentioned in the introduction... How does that show itself in religious practice? So, for example, I can be trained as a certain kind of doctor. I can have all of that information. I can have my character formed and shaped by my training. But at some point, I actually have to begin doing the doctoring. And that's what Jesus is speaking to. Here he talks about doing righteousness. And so he gives us a principle here in verse 1. And then that principle, he applies it to three different areas of religious life. In verses 2 through 4, he applies it to giving, particularly to the needy. In verses 5 through 15, he applies it to prayer. And then in verses 16 through 18, he applies it to fasting. All three of these things were very common religious practices in Judaism in Jesus' day, but they're also common religious practices in other religions as well. Uh, And so we're going to see Jesus uh, show us what, it's not that Jesus tells us not to do those things, but that the way that the kingdom person does them is different. And so Jesus teaches us three things. One, he tells us not to be a religious performer. Two, He does tell us to give to the needy. And then three, he says to do so by looking for the right reward. Don't be a religious performer. Give to the needy and look for the right reward. Look at verse 1. This is the the principle that guides this whole section of chapter 6. Jesus says, Beware of practicing or doing your righteousness before other people. It's important to say um, that righteousness 
is not just a state of being. He or she is a righteous person. Uh, Righteousness is not just a state of being. It is something that you do. It is something that you practice like a doctor practices medicine. Righteousness is to be lived out. Holiness, maybe that sounds like a negative word, but holiness actually shows itself in concrete action. So what is the danger of living out righteousness, of practicing our righteousness that Jesus gives us? He says, beware of doing it before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, wait a second. Turn with me again back to chapter 5. Hopefully you still have your Bible open. Uh, turn to Matthew five sixteen. Same Jesus, same teaching, same sermon. He says, just like you put a light uh, on a stand so it gives light to all in the house, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, wait a sec. Is Jesus confused? He tells me, he tells me to do good works so that they may be seen. And then, just a chapter later, he tells me to be careful how I do them so that they are not seen. What does he mean? Is Jesus contradicting himself? Not very likely, since this would be the same sermon. The difference is the motive. In 5.16, he says, Do good deeds so that people see them and glorify your Father who is in heaven. In 6.1, the danger is that we would do our good deeds so that other people would glorify us. So that I would get approval from others. The difference is motive. Do I want to be seen by others? Or do I want others to see God? Put it another way. Whose glory am I looking for? Is it my own? Am I looking for the pat on the back? Or is it the glory of God? And that's a real danger, isn't it? Jeremiah, an Old Testament prophet, says in Jeremiah 17.9 that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can know it? As you begin to ask yourself the question, whose glory do I want? That answer often comes back mixed, doesn't it? My heart is deceptive. It's sick. Uh, I often do want my own Glory. I want the approval and applause of others. Sometimes, even more than I want the glory and approval of God. Jesus uses the word hypocrites here. In verse 2, he says, When you give to the meeting, we'll talk about that in a second, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets. We love that word hypocrite. Particularly, we love hurling it at other people. We like telling other people that they don't practice what they preach. But for right now, I want you to be honest with yourself. Do you practice what you preach? Are your words and your deeds consistent? What is, what is a hypocrite? 
The word, uh, the Greek word, refers to an actor. On the Greek stage, what they would do is uh, they would get a, a large mask, uh, a hypocrite, an actor would. They would get a mask and they would put it on their face. And they would pretend to be someone that they were not. That is the essence of acting, pretending to be someone that you are not. Jesus says that here, in this passage, we have people who are pretending to be generous when they really aren't. They're sounding the trumpet before them. We, we say they're tooting their own horn. They pretend to care for the needy when they really don't. What they do care about is the applause of others. They want to be seen. And that comes pretty naturally for us, doesn't it? Performing. We love the applause. We love the validation. We love to be seen. And so what about you? Where do you find yourself being a performer? What mask are you wearing? How does God want to unmask you? Jesus says, beware, be careful of being a religious performer. Now, I don't think Jesus means for that to freeze us up. I don't think that Jesus tells us that to, to paralyze us, right? Because there's, you could approach this, what, what Jesus says here, and say, oh no, I have mixed motives. My heart is, is, is deceptive and, and sick. I, I'm not doing this for the right motive. I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to stop until I can gin up the right motive within me. Good luck with that. You're going to be stuck for a little while. I don't think Jesus is telling us to just stop until we can get our act together. Jesus is telling us this so that we'll examine our motives. So that... So that as we do good things, which is what he wants us to do, we will be on the lookout for that thirst for approval of others. Uh, And then when I see it, I put it to death. I I recognize it when I I see it in my own heart. Uh, We talk here at Grace Fellowship, there's a, a tool we use called the Gospel Waltz. Repent. Believe and fight. It's the three-step dance that every Christian does on a daily basis. Right? So when I see that idol of approval coming up in my own heart, I repent. I say, Father, I'm seeking my own glory. Would you forgive me? I care more about what these people think of me than what you think of me. I want to be applauded. Would you forgive me? And then, I believe, Lord Jesus... Thank you for dying to pay for my selfishness, for my own glory-seeking. Holy Spirit, would you help me to obey? Would you help me to fight against my need for others? Would you help me fight against my need uh, to have others approve of me? Help me to see that I am forgiven and accepted in Christ, so I don't need the approval of others. That's what it looks like to to gospel waltz around this issue of hypocrisy, of being a religious performer. Jesus then tells us 
to give to the needy. Right, this is the first religious practice that he mentions. He says in verse 2, Thus when you give to the needy, the word for give there is the old word almsgiving, or giving of alms, but it means to give to the poor, to those who are in need. And as I mentioned earlier, that's a regular practice in many religions. It was looked on favorably in the ancient world, By and large, it's still looked on favorably today. Lots of different people. It's not just Christians who do this. It was taught in the Old Testament. Uh, God's people were to be on the lookout and care for the most vulnerable in society. In fact, it's one of the main reasons that God expels the Israelites from the land. It wasn't just that they were worshiping false gods and not listening to God, but they were, were refusing to care for the most vulnerable. They were refusing to live justly. And so you had the wealthy taking advantage of the poor. That was one of the main reasons that Israel was expelled from the land. And then we also see that it's a regular part of church life in the New Testament. That God's people are to continue to be those who should care for those who are most vulnerable. Now why is that a challenge for us in 2023? Maybe it's not a challenge for you, but usually as you look at what at the evangelical church, which is what we are, we are not known for necessarily our deeds of service. We are known for our adherence to the truth, for our love of the scriptures. Uh, typically we're known for wanting to share the gospel uh, with people, but we've lost the compassion side. And there are a couple of reasons I think this is. One of them, this may go with me for a little bit on this, one of them is historical, theological. Uh, Several decades ago, you had uh, groups of of scholars who they they got rid of, they said they downplayed the word, they downplayed the authority of the Bible and the deity of Jesus, and they played up deeds of mercy. And so they, they pitted deed ministry over against word ministry. They said, ah, it doesn't really matter if a person believes or not. We're not even sure we believe in eternal salvation. The most important thing is making sure that people are fed and clothed. Okay? So then the response from the conservative side was to then pit word ministry against deed ministry and say, as we have over the years, well, yeah, I mean, sure, feeding and clothing people is important, but they really need to know Jesus. That's what we want to focus on. Lots of people can do this, but only we can do this. And what's happened is we began to lose. Uh, we, get, we began to lose deed ministry. But we see it in the life of Jesus, and throughout the Scripture, they go together. Jesus doesn't say if you give to the needy. He says when you give to the needy. He assumes that his people will continue to give to the needy. The other reason I think that we've begun to, this has fallen out of favor, is much simpler. I'm greedy and selfish. I love my stuff. I love my comfort. Right? Uh, We live in a consumeristic society. And our motto is, Make as much as you can, spend as much as you can, preferably on yourself and those you love. That's 
That's where we live, right? It's on every advertisement. It's, it's in the way. It's just in the water that we swim in and the air that we breathe. We live in a society whose gospel is comfort and leisure. And so the idea of giving uh, to those who are in need, that strikes against my own sense of uh, independence and, and freedom. Right? We prize personal responsibility, which is good. But then we end up using our personal responsibility to spend a lot of money on ourselves. And we tend to forget compassion. And so we need to learn again the motto of John Wesley. I, I heard this a few years ago and I love it. As in contradiction, right, we say, get all you can and spend all you can. John Wesley said, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And we have it all there, right? Working, planning for the future, and generosity. Earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. That's a part of practicing righteousness. And then Jesus says that happens, really, it's, it's not so much the doing that Jesus is concerned about, though he is, but the motive with which we do it. Look at verse 3. Jesus says, When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. That sounds kind of silly, doesn't it? I mean, my left hand can't really know anything without my right hand because they're both connected to my brain. Right? Why, why does Jesus put it that way? It's almost like Jesus says, right, as you walk by the offering plate, just kind of like throw the gift in with your right hand and put your left hand over here so it doesn't see. What, what's Jesus getting at? There's another form of hypocrisy. I may be doing just fine in my uh, approval of others, right? I may not be sounding the trumpet outside, but internally, I'm praising myself. I may not be getting a lot of other people to pat me on the back, but I'm patting myself on the back. Jesus wants us to keep our eye on that as well. Self-praise. He says, when we do give, we give in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. What kind of reward are we talking about? Uh, I remember I had a, a professor in college who said that if you did anything for a reward, then it wasn't selfless. That the only way to truly do a good day, uh, to do a good deed, would just be to totally be uh, disinterested, selfless. That there was no reward seeking at all. I'm not sure that person understood human nature very much. We don't do anything without seeking some reward. The question is, what kind of reward are we seeking? Right? We call a person a mercenary, or worse, let's say, let's say a person marries for money. Let's say that's, that's, that's a mercenary. You know, the, the reward that she or he is seeking is different than what, it doesn't fit the relationship given. Right? C.S. Lewis makes this point in his uh, essay, The Weight of Glory, when he says, the problem is not with rewards, it's the kind of reward we're seeking. He said, uh, you know, if, you, if you give a schoolboy who's worked very hard a silver cup, a little trophy, that reward doesn't really fit the effort. But if you give him a scholarship to higher learning, that reward goes with the work. 
that he's been doing. Right? The, the reward is, in a sense, the work in itself in a higher form. So let me see if I can simplify that. What kind of reward are we talking about here? What kind of reward would a giver experience? Well, they would experience the joy of giving as they reflect the generous heart of their Heavenly Father. Jesus himself says it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when you have given, you have probably noticed that. When you have helped someone else, you receive the reward of having given to them. The smile, the gratitude, right, of knowing that you have done well. That is an okay reward. Now, if you take that reward and go, look at me, aren't I great? Obviously, you've now taken it over in a wrong direction. But it's not improper uh, to seek a reward. The question is, what kind of reward is it? And in this case, the reward here is to be seen by your Heavenly Father. In fact, that will come up again and again in this section. Jesus repeats it multiple times. That if I have the approval of my Heavenly Father, then that is all that I need. I do not need the applause of men because I have been accepted by God in heaven. Paul says this in his letter to first, uh, his first letter to the Corinthians. Uh, they're jockeying over who's most important, uh, Paul or these other religious uh, teachers who had come along. And he says, I don't care that you judge me. I don't even judge myself. I've been accepted by God. Right? So I don't have to fear your judgment, and I don't have to fear my own judgment. I don't judge myself, you don't judge me, God does. And if God has forgiven me and accepted me in the Beloved, then that is the reward. That's all the reward that I need. I am seen by Him, and I do not have to be seen by others. Do you know that kind of freedom? Do you know how that feels? I hope that you do. It's only found in Jesus. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for accepting us in Christ, even though we're people of mixed motives. We're people who don't even fully understand what we want ourselves. Lord, thank you for accepting us in Christ, even though we haven't stewarded the gifts that you've given us very well. We've spent more on ourselves than we have on the benefit of others. Lord, would you give us the strength to practice our righteousness better? And when we do it, Lord, I pray that we would labor for your glory, not to be recognized by the people around us, in fact, not even to be recognized by ourselves. Lord, would you give us the strength to not pat ourselves on the back, but the grace to live for you and your approval and your reward. And we pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing together.